0: Glad that you guys are here. Welcome, and it's, uh, it's nice to be home. I struggled with where to start this week, so I just figured let's just dive in with both feet. I'd like to take you on a three-minute trip to Kenya, Africa, along with me. And so I'm going to show you some pictures, some video. These are the hands of Thomas Omolo. He's one of the most gifted missionaries there. We were praying over Bellingham and praying over Kibera, which is an interesting place. Uh, this is some shots of Kibera, so you know the kind of conditions we were working in. Kibera is a quarter of the size of Bellingham. 1.7 million people live there. And these are some of the most precious kids of Kibera. There were 600 kids that welcomed us that particular day. They were singing. They were clapping. They are the cutest kids on the face of the earth. And then this was the pastor's conference. Everyone fully engaged in worship. They could teach the frozen chosen of America a few things about moving with your whole body and getting into it. These guys are singing. This is Pastor Gideon in the yellow suit. That is a style unto himself. And they were so celebrating. celebrating the goodness of God. This is Martin, the guy in the middle. He was two inches from my face the entire time we're there. So he was in my bubble, and that was God's way of teaching me to practice what I preach. We went out into the countryside. I'd like to welcome you to Savior King's Worship Center, which is one of our adopted churches out there. We showed up to do church, and this little girl, she just captured my heart. I was a puddle by the time she was done. And then she got scared and ran away. We went and did their very first baptisms. This is Nicholas, a young man who had never been submerged in water in his life. And he summoned his courage. We baptized him. And this is my friend, Bob Pratt, who got captured by a little baby girl there who represents to me the future and the hope of this beautiful, beautiful country. God gave me a front row seat on how Jesus is just in the details. You see, in 2008, Rob and Maria Bauma, a couple from our church, were traveling through Nairobi. They met Thomas and Beatrice Omolo. They came home, they called Shirley Storm. Our missions director said, you should meet Thomas and Beatrice. Shirley was going to Nairobi the next week. She made a phone call, and out of that conversation has come two schools with 600 kids, a home for orphan children called the Garden of Eden that really is a little piece of paradise. A pastor training ministry that's ripple effect is changing thousands of lives. And a church that just baptized its first eight believers. My friends, only Jesus can take that kind of stuff and take it out of a conversation. Can somebody say amen? Amen. I mean, that's what God does, right? I love this picture of Thomas because we don't go there to minister to them. We go there to partner together. We go there because we have some small thing to give, but we've got so much to learn. and so many ways that we can be touched. It's a three-minute tour of Africa. Let me take you on about a a three-and-a-half-minute or so tour of Luke chapter 6. I want to give you a quick context of Luke chapter 6. Jesus is talking, and in a nutshell, here's what he says in the first 11 verses. He says, do the work of rest and restoration on the Sabbath. You're going to have to keep up with me tonight. I've had a lot of coffee, just warning you, all right? He says, don't ignore the commandment. You need to take a day of rest. But if the God of the Sabbath puts a a restoration project in front of you, like having to to heal a crippled person's hand, take a break from your rest, do the work, watch the healing and see God show up. Then he says this in verses 12 through 16. He says, I want you to do this together. Jesus picks 12 dysfunctional human beings and says, we're going to go out and change the world. You already heard the announcement. If you're not in a small group, you need to get into one. If you're in one, you need to stay faithful. Don't give up and don't get busy because if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Then Jesus says, do the right perspective or keep the right perspective. He listens to the words of Jesus. He says this, and be prepared to be deeply offended. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man, otherwise known as Jesus. Rejoice in that day, leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. That's how their ancestors treated the prophets. Here comes the offense, but woe to you who are rich. You've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now. Oh, boy. Oh, boy for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. And all of my first world American sensibilities and priorities are now deeply offended by the word of God because it's struggle for me to hear when Jesus says, guys, you focus on now, I want you to focus on eternity You're looking for blessing now, but it's actually going to be woe to you. Then he says this in the next 10 verses. Do the right work with your enemies. So here's what scripture says. Not sure I like it, but here it is. Our initiative as believers, those who hear and those who are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Here's what we're supposed to do with people who hate us. This is our role. This is our response. This is our initiative. We're supposed to do good. Do good, which means this. If my crazy neighbor hates me... I mow the part of the lawn that we're in dispute over. If my crazy neighbor hates me, I go and get his garbage can and I roll it up underneath of the eaves because that's what Jesus would do. If my coworker hates me, I don't respond with more hate, I do good. If someone's antagonistic towards me, I turn the other cheek and this stuff is hard for us. Easy to preach, hard to do. The scripture says we take the initiative, we do good. It's active, it's active tense, we do good to them. The scripture says we're to do good to our enemies, and we like that other verse, right? If you do good to your enemies, you're going to heap hot coals on their head. And so we think in our head, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something nice so they suffer. Mm. Not what God's talking about. Do good to those who hate you. It requires action on your part. Then it goes deeper. Bless those who... Curse you. So, if someone, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, they're cursing you, saying wicked things about you, your response seems dysfunctional. In our modern world, we're supposed to bless them. Bless them. That's hard when someone's slandering you until you remember Jesus could have slandered all of us in front of the Father and given us what we deserve, but that's not what he did. And he said, I just want you to follow my example. Boy, it's quiet tonight. You guys are quiet. We look at that and go, that's crazy. Then we read our Bible and we go, no, that's Jesus. If someone curses you, you bless them. And then it goes deeper. Pray for those who abuse you. Which means I, I don't get to lay awake at night and replay revenge in my brain over and over and over again. No, I'm supposed to pray for them instead of dreaming or actually hurting them. I'm supposed to pray for those who abuse us, pray for those who would attack us. I'm supposed to lay in bed at night and instead of dreaming of revenge, I'm supposed to pray that God stirs them and heals them and helps them and delivers them and saves them. In any that that's crazy talk. That's Bible. Then there's some crazy verses about mercy and judgment and forgiveness. Is anybody else squirming yet? We haven't even got to where we're going. And then comes verse 38. Out of nowhere, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It'll be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, think of yourself holding up a standard on somebody else. For with the measure you use, it will be used to measure you. Oh. Now, before you jump to the wrong conclusion, don't get stuck in the first part of the verse, okay? Given, it will be given to you. Just stop for a second. Here's the wrong interpretation of Luke 6 38. Wrong interpretation. Giving's my ticket to prosperity. I mean, that's what I'm supposed to do. I give, it will be given to you. That's what it says right there. If I give, I'll get. That's a version of prosperity gospel. It goes like this. If I put a, buck, a dollar in the bucket, God will give me 10 back. It's the rule of the Rolex. I just throw my Timex in and God chucks a Rolex on my watch. That's how it's supposed to be. Given, it'll be given. It says it right there. Words of Jesus. Money back guarantee, right? Wrong. That's twisted thinking. And we run into it all the time. The offer we can't refuse if we don't really understand it. I got an offer I couldn't refuse this week. Silver envelope came to my, uh, my mail office box here at the office. I opened it up. And right in the inside it said, Grant Ernest Fishbook, you've been pre-selected. <laughs> Not just selected, I've been pre-selected. These guys are excited about me. They picked me. I mean, this, these guys like me so much they're going to give me a brand new piece of plastic. And I'm so excited about that, right? And I didn't even ask for it. They just sent it to me. It says you can exercise your new financial freedom. It said people with outstanding financial credentials like yours deserve an outstanding credit card like ours. Like they're offering me a platinum, gold, silver, double uranium card. (laughs) because of who I am. The letter said our credit line matches your financial intelligence, which means I get the smart rate reserved for smart people because apparently there's dumb people that get to pay a different kind of tax. And because I'm so smart, they're actually offering me this gift. I mean, these people are incredible. And then they say, with every dollar you spend, we'll give you bonus points. That raise your credit ceiling. In other words, if I borrow everything I can today, I'll be able to borrow even more tomorrow. I mean, how much better does this get? It's incredible, and this is with a great rate like this. It makes sense to use your card and use it. Often, the sooner you start using your card, the sooner, sooner you'll start saving. Just do the math. The more you spend, the more you save. That's what they're saying. It's perfect. I'm excited. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff that must be very unimportant because they put it in very small print at the bottom of the letter. (laughs) I don't understand the offer. And if I don't understand the offer, how can I possibly understand in this verse what God is saying? I mean, according to this little envelope, actually, because I did read the the fine print, um, it basically said... You can borrow whatever you want to. We're going to charge you 28.99% interest. (laughs) But we get fooled, right? Give to get. Name it and claim it. Put it on a wall and frame it. And don't think about the fact that over... It's going to take you seven years to pay off a thousand bucks. They tell us, just focus on the card. And we all get wrapped up in it, right? Giving you'll get. That's how it works, right? Right? And then there's this little minority report that shows up in Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will be poured into your lap. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to be honest, it's easier to think the other way. If I just give, I'm going to get something out of it. And then God just shows up with an illustration for you in the middle of Kibera, Africa. We bought 600 bananas to bring to the kids at the school. Their normal meal is one small cup of rice and one small cup of beans. That's what they get every day. That's all they get every day. You hand someone a banana on top of that, it's a big deal. It's not a big deal in our culture. We buy them in bunches. They get them one at a time. So the banana's a big deal, and while we're handing them out, Thomas told me to watch the kids So I'm watching, and I'm watching the children receive the banana from me, and instead of wolfing it down like I would expect every kid to normally do, they would reach into their little bag and pull out a little piece of cloth and wrap it up and put it inside the bag, and I asked Thomas what they're doing, because that's not the way I see kids act these days, and he says they're taking it home to share with their brothers and sisters. This little boy right here in the middle, yeah, yeah. He preached the best message on generosity I've ever seen in my life. I gave him a banana in his school classroom. He popped the top, and I thought he was going to be the exception. He took the world's smallest bite off of the top of it, barely left a mark with his teeth, and then saw that I was looking at him and handed it back to see if I wanted some. I graciously said, no, (laughs) whatever. And he wrapped up his little banana in a cloth and stuck it in his bag because there were hungry people at home. He showed me extravagant generosity. And Jesus screamed the message to me through this little tiny boy. I mean, I'm the one with the Bible degree. I'm the one with the fancy American church, with the seats, with the coffee cup holders. And this little guy just started preaching the word to me. You know what I learned? That's what I learned. I learned I can't outgive God. Can't outgive it. Can't be done. You can give it your best shot. Just give it a shot sometime. See what happens is God's response is always just giving and giving and giving and giving give and it will be given that's just the way now it's not the same way I've learned I only see blessing in the form of this God says actually that little boy doing that but I tell you I would not you can't pay me for what I learned from him What did I learn? I learned Jesus promises a return on pure generosity. A return on pure generosity. If you give it, make a sacrifice, God will give you so much more in return. Better than a Rolex, he might send you a pint-sized preacher to shatter your heart. A good measure, a full cup. Not just dipped out, but pressed down, condensed and compacted, shaken up over the top. That's what that little guy was to me. And he took this lesson in generosity by extending a banana back to me. And he poured it all over my American greedy heart. And I was wrecked by him. What did I learn? I learned that Jesus is the ultimate standard for generosity. I didn't have a measuring stick left. Because I've learned this, if you hold up the measuring stick to other people, Jesus will say, okay, then let's use that measuring stick on you. Isn't it amazing how you use that to measure other people and always come up short? No one righteous, not even one. Let me just take a moment here and be sh- kind of transparent about my own generosity standard for just a second. Here's how I started with this whole thing. I started with the standard of never. Never gave anything. Never gave myself. Never gave money. Never gave my time. Not interested in anything. And how did I reconcile that in my head? I can't afford to. I can't afford to. I need to keep up my standard of living. I need, I need stuff. And when I was a college student, 10% of nothing is nothing. So I'm just going to keep what's mine. And I was offended when the Bible said this to me. Whoever loves money never has enough. Boy, I've learned that to be true. What have I learned? I've learned that, that, that I can't afford not to. How can you not respond to a little boy that wants you to share in a banana that could change his family's day or week? So I shifted from the standard of never to the standard of convenience. That was good. I'll give a little, but I'm going to give it when it works for me, right? I challenge anyone to find a verse in the Bible that says, give as you feel led, even though we use that language all the time. Give as you feel led. Can I be honest with you? I don't ever feel led. Not on my own standard. Are you kidding me? There's never a convenient time. What keeps us from being that kind of generous? You know what keeps us in this context? Fear. We think if we look after anybody else that God's going to leave us hanging. I'd like to challenge that thought with just a second. Can you imagine showing up at heaven and walking through the gates and going, Hey, Jesus, sorry I showed up a little early. I went a little crazy on this generosity thing, totally ran out of food, nobody could help me, so here I am. <laughs> what an amazing way to go. So I'm trying to find a new way based off the life of a pint sized preacher. Trying to learn the standard of consistency that I'm going to purpose in my heart. I'm going to purpose in my heart ahead of time because if I don't purpose it, I'm probably not going to do it. And I'm going to purpose to be a person of generous sacrifice that sees the intrinsic value of Jesus in a little boy with a, ban- with a banana who had so much to teach to an affluenza infected pastor from Bellingham, Washington who forgets every single day just how much I've been blessed. Anybody else wanna say Amen. I'm not the measuring stick of grace and truth and love and sharing, he was. And you know where he learned it from? He learned it from the Jesus that they talk about at the school all the time who took a bite out of death and then extended life to everybody sitting in this room. Choosing to learn one more thing, I'm trying to learn the standard of sacrifice because I want to choose the joy of sharing the blessing that I have in Jesus. And and when I don't know if it's worth it because I actually have to believe that Jesus is enough, I open my Bible and I'm reminded once again of the giving style of Jesus, Galatians chapter 1. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number four, underline it, highlight it, write it down somewhere on a card in one of your multiple vehicles who gave himself for our sins to rescue us. From this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever 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 and ever. Amen. Sorry, just a little freaked out. How else do you say it? You read your Bible, God gave. His one and only Son. God so loved the world that He gave. Now I want to make sure that we observe the bigger context because some people get stuck in Luke 6:38 and they forget everything else that was before it and after it. You see in those little verses that I just kind of skipped over, God talks about mercy and forgiveness and judgment and Jesus is saying this through my little friend. Practice generous mercy. Practice generous help. Practice generous love. Practice a generous spirit. Why? Because of the giving style of Jesus. Jesus gave sacrificially. I'm a dad. I have a boy and a girl. 23 and 21. They will always be 4 and 6 in my heart. And if I was ever asked to give one of them up for no reason to pay a sin debt for someone else who I didn't even have a guarantee that they would respond to, my thought would be no. But not God the Father. Old Testament said that blood needed to be spilled to cover sins, so or Jesus becomes the spotless lamb. And his blood so filled that ancient demand, it never needed to happen again. When Jesus gave, he gave sacrificially of himself. I'll see you on Good Friday, church. Jesus gave completely, took complete devotion for God the Father to send his son, took complete devotion for Jesus to go. There was no wavering and no wonder. He was completely devoted to bridging this gap between sinful man and holy God. And finally, he gave, ultimately, the best he had to offer. Chose his most precious son so you and I could have a shot at eternity. It took that kind of generosity to get our attention. And in Luke chapter 6, before Jesus even dies, he goes, I want you to get the picture early. And because I couldn't get it through my thick skull in 50 years of living God sent me a pint-sized preacher with a banana to teach me the real meaning of Luke chapter 6. Do you get it? So the question is, what in the world are we going to do with this opportunity? I'm trying really hard not to guilt you, but I'll do that if I have to. Just saying. Every year we do this beautiful thing called Missions Month where we try really hard to get outside of our little bubble. And believe me, I'm not trying to make anyone in the room ashamed of the bubble of blessing that God has placed you in. I would like to encourage you to at least stop and say thank you every once in a while. Like just to say, God, I actually get it. I mean, the worship team does such a beautiful job. It's the breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise boy, we could learn something about the passionate way that they worship. I asked Thomas, I said, why all the dancing? Why? You think we're loud here? You have no idea. Add another 30 decibels and not even getting close. And they sing and they dance till they're exhausted. And I asked Thomas, I said, Thomas, why? Because you know what we're doing? We're dancing on the defeat of yesterday. So that our heart swells with gratitude for the blessing of today, so that we don't give up on the hope of tomorrow. That will preach. This year we've got four opportunities to live out Luke 638. Four local ministries that we're connected to, that have global ties. And also, that have historical ties. Last week, you heard about the Life Giving Network from Pastor Kim. <laughs> I think Kim's actually here. I told you he was energetic. <laughs> I warned you, it's awesome. And Kim talked about what it's like to train pastors across the globe and watch the ripple effect go out. He told us last week we serve the unstoppable Jesus. So engaged. The Life-Giving Network is one of our four. New Vision Soccer. And here's another thing you should know. Each one of these ministries is somehow connected because at some point, God had these people right here in our family and stirred them. So it's personal for us. New Vision Soccer uses soccer in Tanzania to share Jesus with kids. I have watched a group of young men who were formerly homeless and hiding be drawn out through the vehicle of soccer to play on the only grass field in the area in Tanzania, and you guys helped pay for the soccer field, and and you're helping be a part of it, and that whole ministry is run by Nathan and Jill Graff, who usually sit here on Saturday nights, and nobody even knows what they do. But they said, how about using the world's most popular sport, which, by the way, is not American football, just in case you're wondering. But what if we use soccer... To reach kids for Jesus, and now it's grown into a trade school and an opportunity for kids to learn how to make guitars of all things. I mean, it's the most incredible expression, and I've seen those boys and I've seen how their lives have changed. And I'll tell you what, get in a front row seat. Just in case you're wondering, you want to know why I got to go to Africa? It's because of your generosity. You helped get us there, you helped bring us home, you paid for the food at the pastor's conference because we fed them all like kings. You've paid for the schools. You've paid for the curriculum. You've all been a part of everything I've described. Don't you dare put it on me. I'm looking at the heroes in the room. I just got to show up in the front row. Another group is called the King Storehouse, run by Bob and Pat Warren. Bob and Pat, you usually see them here about, late. yeah, usually 11.15, sleep-in service, sometimes 9.30. They provide audio Bibles and water filters for clean water access. I turn on a tap, my water is clean. You drink the water in Kibera, you're dead. It's as simple as that. We took Bible filters. Sorry, Bible, audio Bibles, Bible filters. We took. Freudian slip, okay? We took audio Bibles and water filters so that people could experience clean water and living water. Does that make sense? And we give them away. We give them away and they come with earbuds because in some parts of the country where these pastors go to share the word of God, you hear it out loud, they kill you. Because there are enemies there. We're supposed to pray for them. I took both with me to Africa. Got to be a part of some of the distribution. You would have thought I was handing out gold, not pieces of plastic and little recording devices. And finally, we have a local project that I love so much. It's a Bible camp. It's actually run locally right here by some very precious people from Christ the King Church. And if I named them, they would get all embarrassed, so I'm not going to, but their names are in the program. You can read it for yourself. And as we do this project, I'd like to take a moment here because I think it really matters. I want this opportunity to thank our neighbors the Lummi and the Nooksack people who are descendants of the original stewards of this land, we acknowledge that this was their land that our church sits on. And we should never forget that they were the original hosts of our people. So to the native people that are here tonight, we are honored by your presence, whether you are following Jesus or whether you're just investigating who he's all about. We want to thank you for trusting us With your presence. Our hands are up to you. We love you. You're special to us. We want to honor you. And Christ the King has given to a number of international local projects over the years. And this year, we want to give back to our native neighbors in gratitude for all they've given to us by contributing to their Bible camp. A Lummi elder, Mary Helen, is now 99 years old. I saw her here two weeks ago. She had a vision for a Bible camp for native children. She had two requirements. It had to be overnight, and there could be no cost to the campers or their families because in her words, and I love this so much, she said, nobody should have to pay to learn about Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So this summer's 13th annual Jesus Quest Bible Camp for 7 to 12-year-olds, it's a place where campers learn about Jesus, the Bible, and pray. While they're having lots of fun, their theme this year is my hope is found. I went to see the camp last year to observe it. And when I walked in the door, one of the staff people was introducing a young man who was about 10 years old who had just become a follower of Jesus Christ, which makes him my brother and your family member. And that's beautiful. So, all that to say, there is a blue envelope in your program. It will be there for the next three weeks. And I'd encourage you to pray and to live out the full context of Luke chapter 6. And as far as it depends on all of us to be the kind of people who would hand the banana back because that's what Jesus would do. couple of details. Your mission offering is going to go out based on need. So we're not asking you to designate a project. We're just asking you to make it to CTK Missions. We've talked with all of these organizations. We know what their need is. And we want to give back proportionally based on their need. Because that would just be good stewardship. And they have been so good about understanding that. So don't designate a project. I'm just going to give to the overall missions offering. And every penny will go to change the world in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to remind you that we do this above and beyond. Above and beyond what? It's above and beyond our regular giving, which comes in the form of tithes and offerings every week. And because of the theme, I just want to talk to everybody in the room tonight that's a new, you mean you're new to church, you're checking us out and you thought, you thought I just knew it. I'm going to go to church, you're going to talk about money. So let me just talk with you for a second. If you're visiting with us tonight, in a few moments, some white buckets that are not very, not very special or cool looking are going to go up and down the aisles. And when they come to you, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to understand that the greatest gift you've ever given us is the fact that you came to church tonight. Amen. And we don't want anything from you. We want Jesus for you. We'd actually like to take the advantage and example of my little buddy, and we'd like to hold out the best we have, expecting absolutely nothing in return, because we actually believe that around here. So if you're visiting, just ignore the bucket, hand it to the next person. Nobody's going to think twice. But we're going to get ready in a moment to give back to God our tithes and our offerings. If you need to think and pray about this, I'd encourage you to take that little blue envelope home for a couple of days and go, okay, God, that's what Luke 6 says. What do you want back from all of the stuff you gave me? That might be a great conversation to have with the God who gave you everything, including that breath that you just took. That was borrowed, by the way. Just so we're all clear, right? Oh, there's another one. Just let it go. Didn't belong to me. It was borrowed. How blessed am I? God has given me so much, including a church family that every once in a while kicks me out and sends me to the other side of the world to learn really hard lessons about generosity from pint-sized preachers who preach really, really, really good messages. I hope I've represented him well to you. Did you pray with me? God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving us. God, thank you that you're a God who can take a conversation in 2008 and turn it into hundreds of kids and an orphan rescue program and, and, and food and love and laughter and dancing and joy. God, you're the only one who could have pulled that off. Lord Jesus, I pray right now over Thomas and Beatrice Amolo. Great heroes of your kingdom who have been so faithful. God, I pray tonight over Dave and Kim Ryan who've been so faithful in loving Africa. Watching my Mama Kim walk into those schools and have all of those kids just light up. God, thank you for her example and thank you for Dave. All those years ago who showed me a picture of a piece of land that had nothing on it. And now houses 40 of the most beautiful, incredible, intelligent kids that I've ever met. I Thank you, God, that they've lived out Luke chapter 6 for me. And now tonight, God, as we have an opportunity. Lord, would you stir in us. Not the excuses but the love and the hope that that everything is going to be pressed down, shaken together, running over, and is going to be poured out for your honor and your glory. So God, forgive us for holding our own measuring stick. Lord, we take the measuring rod of Jesus today, and we acknowledge that we all come up short, but because of your good grace, We are adopted, loved, forgiven, wrapped in mercy and blessed. So God, would you have your will and your way with your people? I pray these things. In the name of the Jesus who sent a beautiful little boy to preach a powerful message and to inspire me once again To see the world as Jesus sees it. I am so grateful, And I pray these things in the name of that Father. And His Son Jesus. And the Holy Spirit who inspires us all. And all God's people said. Amen. Amen.